بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمد الشاكرين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد طب القلوب ودوائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعافية الأبدان وشفائها وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد كلما ذكرك الذاكرون وغفل عن ذكرك الغافلون Today's subject as selected was the subject of a riba interest or usury in the end of times in akhir zaman of course our sourcing this subject would be from Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem and from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Alihi Wasallam and then also an observation regarding the current banking system and the economic, uh, economic situation of the world and how this affects Muslims in Akhir Zaman in the end of times. This is a very important subject especially post-recent uh, elections where uh, the personal democratic freedoms an individual has are available, but economic freedom and political freedom is still uh, something questionable because our political freedoms are very limited to just ticking a box. So you go from your home to a, a polling station, you tick a box, and even then when you tick the box, only one of two candidates may win that particular seat, and sometimes those seats are guaranteed seats for a party which is then vetted, and uh, vetted, and not only vetted, controlled in its policies, meaning that's the limitation of a democratic right. But personal freedoms are given, meaning personal freedoms, because they do not affect the economic system. They do not affect economic policies. They do not affect uh, loans that are given to third world countries and how those third world countries are affected by those loans. Someone may not understand the importance and the implications of a riba in today's society, but I would say that even a child starving in Africa or a child starving in, in any a uh, country which some have labeled as third world countries, in reality it is the abused world because most of the resources have come from that, uh, those regions of the world. Uh, a child starving in the abused world, that child starving is indirectly a result of the banking system and the, the way the world's finances are being controlled. But was this foretold by the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? Did the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam tell us regarding this? Because Akhir Zaman, the end of times is a subject which is a broad subject, underestimated by many people. The answer is yes. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave also guidelines regarding trade and commerce and how society should function in terms of uh, trade, and commerce and how people should uh, deal with money but a two specific hadith which I wanted to highlight at the beginning of the lecture and then we will go into detail in explanation of these two hadith the first one which is the one of the most explicit hadith regarding end of times and a riba interest or usury uh, being common in the end of times. That is that Sayyiduna Abu Hurairah anhu reports from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam لَا يَأْتِيَنَّ عَلَى النَّاسِ زَمَانٌ That a time shall come upon people لَا يَبْقَى أَحَدٌ No one will remain إِلَّا أَكَلَ riba Except he has consumed riba Usually and in one hadith, uh, that دَخَلَ الْرِبَى كُلَّ بَيْتٍ 
that are in one variant of the hadith narrated by Ibn Majah that riba will enter every house kulla baytin fa'in lam ya'kulhu if he has not consumed riba asabahu min bukharihi that he will be affected by its steam bukhar but in another version of the same hadith min ghubarihi from the dust of riba now uh, in Mishkatul Masabih, he states, Rawahu Ahmadu wa Abu Dawuda wa Nasa'iyu wa Ibn Majah. Meaning he references it to these sources. An authentic hadith. But you will note that many scholars, like uh, for instance, a Sheikh Ahmad al-Ghumari, or uh, other scholars, contemporary scholars like Abu Bakr al-Mashhur, they will write under this that this is a direct reflection of the banking system that the system that governs our economy today that has developed more in the past 100 years this has affected everyone to such a degree that if they are not consuming a riba interest they are affected by its ghubar, its dust how we will go into uh, shortly, but before going into that, the verses of Al Quran Al Karim relating to a riba. Those verses, in terms of ahkam, legal rulings, the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the last verse of Al Quran Al Karim that was revealed in one report is the verse of a riba. The companions mentioned this, but then the scholars of Ulum al-Qur'an, they clarified that this relates to the last verse relating to Ahkam al-Qur'an. So the, the correct statement would be the last verse revealed in Al-Qur'an al-Kareem in terms of Ahkam legal rulings in Al-Qur'an al-Kareem was the verse relating to Ar-Riba. And this was not without reason. This was because of the effects of Ar-Riba on the world economy in the future. And it, when the Prophet ﷺ gave guidelines to one Sahabi, he said to him, save your dirahim and your dinar, your, uh, your dananir, your silver and gold coins, because this affair has a long period of time. Meaning, the akhir uh, zaman will come about in a long period of time, but in the meantime, save your silver and gold coins. And this was said for a reason. Why the gold and the silver is emphasized in the hadith. But when the verses of uh, riba were revealed, when the Prophet ﷺ uh, stated that the riba is done away with, he said, under my feet. Meaning that the riba is the loans that the polytheists would give. They would give loans out to people and then they would charge them extra money for those loans. And then when the Prophet ﷺ governed Makkah al-Mukarramah and al-Madinah al-Munawwarah, when the Prophet ﷺ governed these regions, he abolished a riba. And this was the abolishment of a riba. Perhaps for the first time in human history, that riba was done away with. And this lasted uh, from a governmental level, not on an individual basis, because there may have been people and individuals in the Muslim world who continued transactions privately in a riba. <coughs> but on a governmental level, up until the abolishment of the Khilafah, which was only a, nearly a hundred years ago, officially, uh, unofficially, uh, from the time uh, when a Sultan Abdul Hamid Thani, uh, Abdul Hamid II was uh, abdicate, made to abdicate from the throne of the Khilafah, meaning 1908, from that period of time, Ar-Riba has consumed world economy. So these verses of Riba warn people, Alladina yaakuluna Riba, those who consume Riba. La Yaqumun will not stand, and many of those commentators of the Quran, like if you take, check the tafsir of Al Iz bin Abdi Salam and others, they will say, Yaqumun fil Akhirah. Generally, this is the commentary 
Then in the akhirah, when they stand up from their graves, لا يقومون إلا كما يقوم الذي يتخبطه الشيطان من المس except the way shaitan yatakhabbat this word comes from touching meaning possession except like the way a person is possessed by shaitan yatakhabbatuhu shaitan min almas meaning the effects of consuming usury the effects of giving loans and then charging people extra on that loan and then consuming from that loan the effect that it can have affect the mind and even the likes of Ibn Ata'illah Al-Iskandari Rahimallah Ta'ala when he talks about the spiritual effects of why some people have deep sleep which they cannot re- wake up from and they miss acts of worship he says sometimes this is the effects of consuming riba also I mean there are spiritual effects of consuming riba so in the a lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, interest-based loans and usury were warned against. And uh, the one famous hadith which has var- various variants, different versions with different wordings, uh, I will read that one uh, famous uh, uh, version of that same hadith. Which is عن عبادة بن السامت رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لا تبيع الذهب بالذهب ولا الورق بالورق. The background to the hadith, the companions, some of them, they would take inferior dates, meaning heavier amount of inferior dates. and go to the markets and find superior dates and then swap or bartering this is a way of trading they would barter the inferior dates with the quality dates they would acquire the quality dates for inferior dates so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam warned regarding abwab riba the doors of a riba of usury and mentioned six things Specifically, the first was al-dhahab uh, al-dhahab, gold with gold, and al-wariqa bil-wariqi, or al-fidda bil-fidda, meaning silver with silver. And the additional four things that were mentioned, wala al-burra bil-burri, wala al-sha'ira bil-sha'iri, wala al-tamra bil-tamri, wala al-milha bil-milhi, illa sawa'an bi-sawa'in. So, Aynan bi aynin, sawa'an bi sawa'in, aynan bi aynin, which is what? Do not sell al burra bil burri, which is wheat with wheat, al sha'ira bi sha'ir, bali with bali, al tamra bi tamri, dates with dates, al milha bil milhi, salt with salt. Four things which are consumed were mentioned. So two things which are precious metals, the two precious metals being gold and silver, which was the currency in that time up and until recent history gold and silver were the currencies and the four additional things that are mentioned are things which are consumed which are wheat and barley and salt and dates so these were the four additional things meaning if someone sells gold for gold this is not permitted except what sawa and the sawa except in equal measures, equal amounts. So one companion, when he, when he had the dates, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, what is this? He said, these are dates. I sold the inferior dates. In one narration, it is Sayyiduna Bilal radiallahu anh. I sold the inferior dates for quality dates. So the Prophet ﷺ said that when you, when you, when you sold the inferior dates, the price, was it more, uh, meaning the, the money that you acquired, could you buy this equal amount of superior dates? He said no, he could only buy a less amount of superior dates. So the Prophet ﷺ forbade them from doing so. And that is the background where he explained the rules of a riba. Sawa and bi sawa, except if you sell in equal proportion. So, for instance, if someone has 
a gold coin and the gold coin is 3.5 grams or 5 grams and with the gold coin he wants to buy gold but he goes to the shop and he buys gold but the gold he buys is 2 grams this would be prohibited meaning someone may say why would you want to buy gold with a gold coin for instance he needs earrings for his wife or a ring for his wife a gold ring but he measures the gold ring and the gold ring is 2.5 grams and the gold coin he is giving is 3.5 grams this would be prohibited unless the ring is 3.5 grams and the gold coin is 3.5 grams this would be permitted so the prophet the guidelines he gave is that go and swap meaning what would you do you would do currency exchange you would exchange the gold coin for a silver currency in those times or other currencies then once you acquire the currency you would go and buy the earrings or the the watch or whatever you intended to buy uh, of course when you buy that then that would not be considered a riba because there is no dishonesty in the trade because you are trading a, a different currency uh, made from a different precious metal or in, in today's day and age not even from a precious metal from paper or polymer notes that people have so this was the uh, prohibition that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam mentioned now based on this based on this uh, particular hadith the schools of fiqh jurisprudence the four schools they go into the details why were these six things mentioned why were these six things mentioned meaning what is the underlying factor so for instance al-imam malik ta'ala states meaning when i say al-imam malik states meaning his school that the reason behind this is that these were storable things and another thing which the, the schools mentioned is thamaniya, which is those things which are used as currency. Remember, salt was used as currency in those times. That even in uh, sub-Saharan trade, when people would trade books, one of the largest commodities that was uh, traded in the sub-Sahara was books. This is why Timbuktu was the capital of books in that time. And this is why the uh, the minaret in uh, Marrakesh is called Al-Qutbiya. Why? Because they would store books when reading and literacy was common in that region. One of the commodities that they would trade the books for was salt. So salt was committed, co considered a, a, a currency. So this, and the people, they are Maliki, meaning they follow the Maliki school. So they would, they would trade in salt and salt was con considered a currency they would store the salt away so if you look at wheat and barley they could be stored away for a long period of time likewise the dates could be stored for a long period of time uh, as well as this the salt could be stored away for long periods of time and gold and silver could be stored for long periods of time so in the end times when a riba becomes commonplace, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu wasallam states that this time shall come upon people that if they do not consume a riba directly, meaning they are not involved in riba transactions, they do not loan money to people and then charge them extra, which unfortunately even some Muslims in the Muslim world, meaning Muslim countries, Muslim majority countries, they loan Christians money and then enslave those Christians through those loans. How? They will borrow a poor Christian family. In Pakistan this is commonplace. They will borrow the Christian family a few thousand rupees. When the Christian family is unable to pay the loan back, they will add riba interest onto those loans. And of course, the, the person who works in those countries, the economies are so uh, knackered and the economies are so finished that in some cases a person can work from the morning till the evening and he will only earn a few hundred rupees or 80 rupees or 
a small amount of money, a meager amount of money. And then what happens, the Muslims, they will, some of them, they will give those Christians, they not only do this with Christians, they do this with Muslims also. But with Christians, they attempt to give a religious justification for this. When there is no religious justification. Al-Quran Kareem and the Sunnah of the Prophet prohibit this. And this is one of the signs of the Ashratu Sa'a at the end of times, that a person will earn and acquire unlawful earnings and they will not even look into their earnings whether those earnings are from halal or haram they will eat from those prohibited earnings so they borrow those Christians money and then when the Christians are unable to pay back they add interest to the loans claiming that this is permitted in the religion of Islam when it is not permitted it is a form of slavery now this has greater consequences in the world when Countries are loaned on interest by the IMF, International Monetary Fund, or the World Bank. These loans, sometimes those countries cannot pay back those loans. What this does is that those countries start working on overtime. When they work on overtime, this can lead to harmful effects in that society, which can harm them in different ways. For instance, people who cannot pay back loans, in some cases, they will resort to prostitution, meaning uh, poverty leads in some places of the world, like if you check the brothels, meaning information on the, on the brothels in Muslim countries, in some of those countries like Bangladesh, you will realize that the brothels are huge. Why, Why is the, the industry huge? Because people are unable to pay back loans. When they are unable to pay back loans, they resort to haram, to prohibited things. In some cases, this can affect the natural resources of that country. How can it affect the natural resources? When the country is unable to pay back the loan, what happens is that the people who gave the loan, in this case, in many cases, the IMF or the World Bank, they will take the natural resources of that country. For instance, the Himalayan salt that we buy, the pink salt, this Himalayan salt is available in Pakistan in abundance. But Pakistan does not profit from selling that salt. Why do they not profit from the selling of that salt? Because the Western nations or the nations that give out those loans, they will take the salt and sell it. The profit that they make, they decrease or they remove some of the interest on the loans. So the loans are not even being repaid, but the interest is being paid on the loans. So in many cases, if the country is working over time, the people are being taxed, inflation increases, the taxes that are being paid and the inflation that increases in that country is only going back towards paying the, the interest on the loans. So the, in many cases, the loans are not even being paid back, the interest on the loans is being paid back. Or deforestation that occurs in South America. Deforestation occurs because many farmers they want to farm the land, so they see the, the rainforest uh, is cut while the wild rainforest is covering the land. So what do they do? They cut the wood, the wood is sold. Additional to this, the land is prepared for farming and the forests are done away with. This not only occurs in South America, in other countries, in the tropicals, uh, tropical areas like Indonesia and Malaysia, countries that are near the equator. But additional to that, when they farm and over farm, you can over farm land, farmers will tell you that land is seasonal, that you can only, uh, you need to give the, the land rest. But if you over farm, it leads to desertification, meaning the land becomes deserts. So this is why deserts increase in some parts of the world, like in North Africa, where the farmers are doing overtime, but then the land does not become farmable after a while. This is all the effects of riba on the world economy. Meaning, why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited riba usually is because of these harmful effects. So poor families are affected, whether Muslims or non-Muslims, across the globe. And Muslims are warned regarding riba. Meaning Muslims who carry out interest-based uh, banking on a private level or those Muslims who are involved in the, in the interest of the usury.
But the hadith states, whoever doesn't eat and consume a riba is affected by its ghubar, its dust. How are people affected by the ghubar, the dust? That the modern economy that we have today, this economy is based upon the American dollar. But prior to the American dollar, the economies were based upon gold and silver. <coughs> gold and silver in America also, uh, in the 1800s, a person could go with gold, raw gold, to the mint, pay the mint a small amount, and the, the mint in America, they would uh, make some coins for the person. Meaning they had uh, the American dollars, which were known as the eagles. These uh, American dollars, in some cases, the American dollars or the American currency would have silver coins. Uh, 15 silver coins would be equal to one gold coin. Now, to uh, understand this better, a simple example. If you have a savings box, and in that savings box, you placed the silver chandi rupee. If in the 1950s and in the 1960s, Pakistan had a silver chandi rupee. That silver chandi rupee, if your grandfather had saved, had a savings box and he placed only silver chandi rupees. And a pers another person had a savings box and they placed the pound in that time in the, the, the paper pan, or even if, if we have these, these, these pans, the polymer notes, someone start placing those in the savings box. When they fill, both of them fill the box. One, uh, one fills the box and the other fills the box. The box is placed away and opened in a hundred years. Which one will retain its value? The silver. The silver would have retained its value. So if you open the silver now, and the silver, is, the silver currency is not in common parlance, uh, in common use. People are not using the silver rupee. But you go to that, with that silver, does the silver retain its uh, intrinsic value? The answer is yes. So world economy was running on silver and gold. That every nation would deal in silver and gold. But what the banking people did, it, what is referred to is as fractional reserve banking. Fractional reserve banking was that the you cannot carry, some people would claim that they cannot carry gold and silver everywhere or they cannot keep gold and silver safe in their homes. So they would go to a bank and they would say to the bank, uh, keep this gold safe for us. And then if they needed to transfer money, they would uh, give them paper slips, uh, which were known as promissory notes. That the person, so if 10 pounds, meaning the word pound may come from pounds of silver, or pounds of gold or whatever. They would give them, let's say, 10 pounds, a paper, promissory note. When the person would uh, carry this paper now, they would trade, they would give, tradesmen amongst themselves would swap notes. They would give 10 pounds and the person could go to the bank, supposedly, and give him the, the 10 pound note and receive his gold. This was the initial stages of what we have today as a, a banking society or ban banking economic world order. But then what the banks realized is that not everyone will go and give in their, their paper money and take the gold. Not everyone will do this. So they started printing more paper money than the reserves in the banks. So more money was in circulation than gold in the banks. So if there was 100 tons of gold in the bank, the amount of paper money that was in circulation would exceed 100 tons. Like this, the banks started to control money circulation and printing money. So when governments started giving the banks the rights to print money which did not actually reflect the, uh, the reserves in the banks, this led to more control from the banks. Then later, of course, 
the backing of any paper money with gold or silver was abolished. So you had the Bretton Woods Agreement in 1944 and then in 1971. Uh, after that, the gold reserves were finished. Today, you cannot trade in gold and silver. You must trade in paper money, which then nations empower America by trading in the dollar. So the dollar is only powerful because other nations buy the dollar. So, for instance, the more dollars that are, bo uh, are uh, brought uh, by other nations uh, into the economy and the more that they buy, this strengthens the dollar today. But there is no backing for the dollar in terms of gold and silver. So the, the gold and silver was done away with. Today, the only way of empowering an, eco an economy is by reintroducing gold and silver into an economy. So if Pakistan reintroduced the silver chandi, so all they have to do is make an official, uh, meaning the mint of Pakistan, all they have to announce is that we are only introducing one silver coin into the economy. What will happen? Everyone will start buying the silver coin because the silver coin has intrinsic value. And this indeed will strengthen the economy. But did the Prophet ﷺ forewarn regarding the disappearance of gold and silver which will be traded in, uh, which was traded in in those times and continued until recent history? The answer is yes. Even some of as salafus salihun the pious predecessors, warned regarding doing away with gold and silver. For instance, Sa'id ibn Musayyib, rahimahullah ta'ala, Sa'id ibn Musayyib, rahimahullah ta'ala, was referred to as Sayyidu Tabi'een, one of the leading uh, people who was from the generation that had spent time with the companions of the Prophet sallallahu His statement as Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah ta'ala, quotes in Al-Matalib, he states, قطع الدينار والدرهم من الفساد في الأرض. What this was referring to, there is a context to this. Gold and silver, which was common in the Muslim world and the non-Muslim world, the if you start making uh, hybrid coins by mixing the gold with inferior quality metals, this would reduce the value of the coins. This would reduce the value of the coins. And this is the meaning of what As-Saraqsi mentions in Al-Mabsud and which people ask that if a person goes to a non-Muslim land, a Muslim, and he, bought, he gives in a silver coin, a gold coin or a silver coin for two silver coins or two gold coins, this is permitted. There is a statement in Al-Mabsut of As-Saraqsi, which some people attempt to validate riba in non-Muslim lands uh, by saying, look, As-Saraqsi states, if you go to a non-Muslim land and you give one silver coin or one gold coin, you can take two gold coins and two silver coins. The, the response is he's referring to inferior quality coins being given and quali superior quality coins being given back. So the Muslim is benefiting. This is in response to what some people mention in order to validate uh, what they say. Uh, this applies to if you pay to banks uh, a loan, interest-based loan to a bank. When you pay, pay an interest-based loan, they say, look, a Saraqsi is saying uh, you can give two uh, silver coins to a non-Muslim and take one silver coin back. So we can give extra to the non-Muslims and take back less. But the response is he's not referring to this. He's referring to uh, giving two inferior quality coins to the non-Muslim and taking a superior quality coin back, meaning the Muslim is benefiting in that transaction. But the the coins that are why these coins are mentioned is because people would uh, some of the mints in that time in some of the uh, governments, when they would manufacture coins, they would mix the coins and with inferior metals. So some of the traders, what they would do in that time, they would say, I will give you this 
for half a dirham. And to, to take half a dirham, they would cut the dirham in half. They would cut the dirham in half. So in this context, Sa'id ibn Musayyib, rahimallahu ta'ala, says, that cutting the dirham and the dinar is from the corruption caused on the earth. But stating this, why did he say cutting the dinar and the dirham is from the fasad fil ard, corruption on the earth? Because this ruins the economy, meaning doing away with gold and silver or making the coins inferior. This ruins the economy meaning that the intrinsic value that is placed in gold and silver, the gold and silver should be left and the coins that are minted should be left intact. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam stated in one uh, hadith narrated by Sayyiduna Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu that Sayyiduna Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu states كَيْفَ أَنْتُمْ إِذَا لَمْ تَجْتَبُوا دِينَارًا how will you be when you will be unable to acquire these gold coins and the silver coins? So the people were shocked. They said, will this occur? Oh, Abu Huraira he said, yes. And he, in the context of this hadith, he mentions the non-Muslims. And he mentions specifically the Ahlul Dhimma also. Because the Ahlul Dhimma are the non-Muslims who live in the protection of the Khilafah. They give something equivalent to a council tax to the Muslims. From this they benefit. How do they benefit? They benefit more than the Muslims. From giving this jizya, and it does not necessarily have to be named al-jizya. I mean, you can change the name. Sayyiduna Umar changed the name for the people of Oman. The modern equivalent would be a council tax. From giving this, they would have protection from the state, they would not be conscripted into the national army, and they would have their rights to practice their religion. In fact, they even practice their own laws. So non-Muslims living as a minority in the Khilafah can practice their own laws. They can sometimes go to the Islamic courts if they believe the Islamic courts will give them more justice. But Generally speaking, they are unaffected by Muslim laws. Uh, in fact, I would say the, the, if Sharia law came in any country, the Muslims are affected more than the non-Muslims. Because the non-Muslims are permitted to drink alcohol and trade in alcohol. The, Mus the government may take a tax, nothing different to what the British government does, meaning in taking a tax on the uh, alcohol. They can drink alcohol. They can gamble, they can commit fornication amongst themselves. They can leave their own religion and enter another religion. They have freedom of religion. In fact, Islam is strict to a point that they know that if someone leaves Islam, the law of the, uh, of the apostate applies upon that person. So a non-Muslim will think twice before entering Islam. So there is no forced conversion. Meaning, a Christian or a Jew or a Hindu living in a Muslim state will think twice before entering Islam because he will know that if he leaves Islam, the apostate law applies. And this is one of the wisdoms of the apostate law. It's a law of treason. That a person doesn't enter the religion and then make a mockery of the religion by leaving the religion. Meaning, before entering the religion, he thinks. Because he has more freedom as a non-Muslim. So this claim that Islamic law is totalitarian or Islam is totalitarian uh, with its hudud punishments, with its corporal punishments, it's false. Because they have all these freedoms. They can even party in private parties. They can do whatever they want in private. The state has no uh, jurisdiction in their private homes. So they have all these freedoms. And the, the laws that apply, meaning the laws of hudud, which apply on adultery and on Muslims, those are laws which we would say in modern jargon, uh, laws of public decency. Public decency. So a man and woman are not, and that's illegal in England also, that they have open intercourse on the roads. 
that four people are able to observe penetration. Now if four people are able to observe penetration, what people say today, that the law of stoning is barbaric. The law of stoning is barbaric. And so many Muslims are unable to even explain this law. Firstly, the application of the law is with strict, stringent rules. That in the lifetime of the Prophet as far as, I'm, as I am aware, the stoning occurred three times. Twice upon uh, Muslims and once with the Jewish uh, case. With the Jewish case, the Jews brought the case to the Prophet and said, apply the law of the Torah upon us. And that the, the stoning was found in the Torah. Famous incident when Abdullah bin Salam found the verse of stoning. The two cases of the Muslims, in both cases, when the, in one case when the man came, he, he came and admitted the action of adultery four times and the fifth time, the Prophet ﷺ inquired regarding his mental health. So four times the Prophet ﷺ turned him away. And the fifth time he inquired regarding his mental health. So when the stoning occurred, the man ran away. When he ran away, one of the companions caught up and killed him. When the Prophet ﷺ was informed of this, he said, Why did you not allow him to run away? Perhaps he may have retracted his statement. From this we understand that the law of stoning, why is it stoning? Because with stoning, when you throw a stone, you do not kill the person straight away. There is a chance for the person to say, this is a false allegation, or I did not do this. If he says this, the qadi, the judge, stops the stoning straight away. He says, stop. Why? Because the person, there is a doubt, and the hadith states, "Idra'ul hududa anil muslimin bishubuhat." Avoid the hudud, corporal punishments from the Muslims with doubts. So once a doubt is established, the qadi stops the had. Likewise, he's left in an open area. The the punishment is carried out in an open area. When he's left in an open area, it gives him the chance to run away. As soon as he runs away, the qadi stops the stoning. He stops the stoning straight away. So this is why he's, uh, the stoning occurs in an open area. Now this, in a modern age, the application of this in the modern age, some people say, how can you envisage stoning in the modern age? Of course, ISIS and other groups have a lot to answer for in how they tarnish the image of Sharia. Who said the stoning is, caused, is carried out in town center or in a fo football stadium? Like in America, the death penalty with the injection or the electric chair, uh, many people do not consider this barbaric. It's not carried out on the streets or on the roads. It's carried out within uh, a government-confined area, but some members of the public are allowed to observe. This is the meaning of that some people from the public come and observe. But an open area is left. So the person, if he runs away, he's not killed straight away. So with uh, Sharia law, of course, uh, there are many things, uh, but uh, economic policies of the Sharia law, economic policies, one of them would be that the currency that people deal in, that currency is, is a currency which has intrinsic value, and that would only be gold and silver. Like I said, if we saved our 10 pound notes today, these 5 pound notes today, in 40 years, the value of these 5 pounds will diminish. Why? Because of inflation. What is inflation? People think, some people think that inflation is the value of the, of the, of, uh, or the prices going high. This can happen, meaning sometimes the, the, the prices of commodities goes high because of a rarity of those commodities. For instance, wood. If wood is unavailable, then the price of wood will go high. But alongside this, the intrinsic value of the currency can also go low. So because of this, taxes are raised. And when taxes are raised, inflation increases inflation increases because of two things one is the the commodities the prices of the commodities but also because of the intrinsic value 
of the currency that is being used. So the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said, كَيْفَ أَنْتُمْ إِذَا لَمْ تَجْتَبُوا دِينَارًا وَلَا دِرْهَمًا Meaning how will you be uh, going on to the original point regarding Ahlu Dhimma? When the Ahlu Dhimma cannot give gold and silver, they do not give gold and silver as a jizya to the Muslims. The, the reason why I went into Sharia law is because people misinterpret the jizya as being a, a as a act of oppression on non-Muslims when it's an act of giving them their freedoms. When they would give the jizya, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, when he went into Jerusalem, he saw some Christian old men begging. When they were begging, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu said, uh, why are these men begging? They said, these are old men, Christians who have no job, no income, and they are too old to work, and they are blind. So Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu said, give them a pension, because we do not collect the jizya from them in their youth, and leave them to rot in their old age. Meaning, give them, uh, the jizya goes back to the non-Muslims. So it's taken by the Muslims. Some of the jizya goes back, is redistributed amongst them, for their own benefit. But they have more rights than Muslims in a, in a Muslim Sharia compliant state. For instance, if Sharia law came in uh, Britain, the non-Muslims will not, will not be as affected as the Muslims. The Muslims will be more affected. The non-Muslims will carry on as they are, in, for the most part, in most of their things. It will be the Muslims who are affected. This is something which is left out in media. Meaning in the, in the media where they attempt to tarnish the Sharia, people think that they are affected, non-Muslims think they will be affected by Sharia. Not that we call for Sharia in, the Mus in England. The Sharia is to be established in the Muslim world. But this is to frighten people regarding Islamic law. So the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, when you, will, when you will not receive the darahim and the dananir from the non-Muslims, meaning the dinar and dirham will be not found in circulation. In another hadith, uh, the companion al-Miqdam, radiallahu an, Miqdam bin Ma'di Karib, radiallahu an, this is mentioned in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, أن المعجم الكبير الإمام الطبراني سليمان بن أحمد الطبراني رحمه الله تعالى famous حديث كمبايلا passed away in 360 that المقدام رضي الله عنه he had one of his servants sell milk while they were selling milk the silver coins that would come he would place them in a pouch and save them so some people were surprised. They went up to him and they said, how can you be saving such coins? Because the companions were known for distribution of wealth. Like Sayyidina Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu and many of others of the companions. So Sayyidina al-Miqdam radiallahu anhu states, إِذَا كَانَ آخِرُ الزَّمَانِ When the end of time shall come. إِذَا كَانَ آخِرُ الزَّمَانِ لا بد للناس فيها من الدرهم والدنانير. It will be essential for people to have silver and gold coins in the end of times. Why يقيم بها الرجل دينه ودنياه that with the silver and gold coin a person will be able to establish his his religion and his worldly life. Now, if we look at the modern age, Akhiru Zaman, which is this time, where gold and silver is out of circulation, that if a person is relying totally on the paper-based economy that we have, if the paper money fails and the economy collapses tomorrow, this paper will, be, will have no value. Meaning what happened in Zimbabwe, formerly known as uh, Rhodesia, named after Rhodes, Cecil Rhodes, who was a plunderer of South Africa. But Zimbabwe, a socialist government took over. Now, uh, what would a Muslim government do if a Muslim government took over certain lands, uh, a country, and you have private farmers? Will a Muslim government act like a socialist government and forcefully take the lands of the farmers? The answer is no. 
See, you have the right and the left, you have privatization and nationalization. People talk about the nationalization of the NHS and the privatization of the NHS and all these different public services. Where does Islam, because some Muslims take what they like from socialism and then take what they like from uh, capitalism, Islam has its own system of governance. In Islam, if, if there are farm owners, like they were in Zimbabwe, and uh, uh, the president at the time, he, uh, Robert Mugabe, attempted to use the race, uh, racial card in order to forcefully take those farms away from those people. So when the farms were taken, he placed people who were unable to farm correctly, and then the farms fell and the crops would fail, and then people would not even have basic things like food. So they would loan money from the IMF. And this happens in socialist countries. If they nationalize everything, there are incompetent people who, who run certain things and those ventures will fail. In Islam, however, if there is a Muslim government and you have private farmers, the private farmers can farm. They can profit for themselves, sell the produce themselves. But what the government will not even intervene in, in settling the prices of the markets. Why? Because gold and silver, when there is gold and silver in the markets, the gold and silver will have an intrinsic value. But what the government will do, it will take Rush one-tenth of the produce. Rush one-tenth of the produce. Food will be taken, not money, food. So if there is a potato farm, one-tenth of the potatoes will be taken. What will happen to those potatoes? Straight away distributed amongst poor people. <coughs> Meaning, uh, you'll have food areas like a Sheikh Muhyuddin Ibn Arabi area. Uh, every Thursday, uh, every Friday morning, people would go in Damascus. They would go with a bucket and the bucket would be filled with food. Why? Because this is an endowment, public endowment from the Ottoman period, from the Khilafah period. The Khilafah had placed as a public endowment an entire mountain. The vegetation that was grown on the mountain and the fruit would be distributed amongst the poor. So if there are privately owned farms, the ush is taken from them, or kharaj, kharaj is a tax taken from them. But the farms are not forcefully taken from them. So do not mix socialism with some socialism policies with Islam, meaning they're two different things. Likewise, capitalism is a total control, uh, privatization of everything. But in Islam, some uh, things are taken back from the rich, but not everything, not their what they have acquired and earned for themselves, they can keep. But Islam will take some fraction of their earnings and redistribute that amongst the poor. So, in the end of times, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu tells us that when the end of time approaches, a dirham and a dinar will help a person in establishing his religion. And this is why buying gold and silver is a good idea. Meaning if someone buys blocks of gold and keeps them, that is a better way of saving your money than cash. Because if there is inflation and the cash loses its value, like if you bought a home over 20 years ago, in Birmingham, the houses were going for £50,000. Now the same houses would be sold for £200,000. Has the value gone up? People think the value has gone up. It's not the value has gone up. The, the value of the pound has gone down. I mean, the, the value of the pound has gone down. Even house prices in this country are extortionate with the same amount of money you can have a mansion in other parts of the world because the house prices are actually very extortionate. So, if someone invests in gold and silver and they place away, meaning ask them in the tradition in the Asian communities is that women have gold. So a woman who has gold from her mother and her mother-in-law and then she received gold from her mother and her mother-in-law, this is a tradition that carries on. That gold is worth more than cash. So if a woman is given 15,000 pounds worth of gold as a dowry and another woman is given 15,000 pounds worth of cash as a dowry, 
in 30 years' time, the gold will still maintain its value. It will go. Uh, people say that the price of gold has gone high. The price of gold has gone high. Really, the, the inflation has increased and the value of the, the money, the currency has gone down. Gold is more stable as a currency. Why does gold fluctuate as a currency? Gold will only fluctuate as a currency depending on the goods that are bought. So if, if there are more chickens, the prices of chickens will drop. But if there are less chickens, the prices of chickens will increase. But the value of the gold is the same. So, so a person will buy with one gold coin 10 chickens if there are many chickens. But if the price of chickens is decreased, why? Because there are less chickens. He can sometimes buy only two chickens with a gold coin. It's not because the gold coin is fluctuating. It's because the, the amount of chickens available is fluctuating. But with the current economic system, with the paper money, the value is always going less and inflation increases and this is why taxation increases. In one hadith, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu said, كَيْفَ أَنْتُمْ How will you be? إِذَا لَمْ يُجِبْ لَكُمْ دِينَارٌ وَلَا دِرْهَمٌ that how will you be when you when you will not be able to acquire in one sense lam yujib meaning not being able to benefit from a dinar and a dirham meaning this will occur uh, telling us regarding the current economic state of the world likewise in one hadith the messenger of allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said and this hadith is narrated by a daylami in his musnad. A daylami in his musnad. Why the musnad of a daylami is interesting? Because the the hadith in the musnad of a daylami also states, "Al amaimu tijanul Arab." The amaim wearing an imama is the crown of the Arabs. When the amaim are removed, they will remove Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will remove the izza. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will remove al-izza, meaning al-izza is what? The excellency and authority on the earth. And if you note with Arabs, they have removed the imama. This is for Arabs specifically. They have removed the imama. Now they wear the, the cloth of the head, but they do not wear. No Arab nation wears the imama today. Uh, with the odd exceptions, but generally they do not wear the imama. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said in the same hadith work, لا تقوم الساعة حتى يعز الله فيه ثلاثا and in one narration ثلاثة درهما من halal a silver coin from halal from permissible income وعلما مستفادا knowledge which people benefit from وأخن في الله and a true brother for the sake of Allah. Now there's much to be said regarding ilman mustafadan, that much of the education and knowledge that we learn is useless in the education system. People only do it for a certificate to get a job. Ilman mustafadan is knowledge which benefits you. But what is mentioned is dirhaman min halal. The last Arab nation that had a silver coin, uh, gold and silver, was Yemen. And that was done away with in the 1960s. So they had a socialist uh, revolution and this is why Yemen was divided into North and South Yemen. And they done away with gold and silver. Yet the Arabs had the ability to use a gold and silver currency because they had the natural resource of oil. With the natural resource of oil they could have strangled America and at the same time reintroduced the gold and silver currency and strengthened their own economies. Now today the Muslims still have an opportunity in uh, other countries. Maybe if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives guidance to some of the rulers uh, like in Pakistan that they can reintroduce the silver chandi rupee. If they do this, this will really strengthen the economy of Pakistan. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to see the wisdom of why he outlawed riba and likewise how this affects us in the end of times in akhirul zaman because if tomorrow the pound fails how will you uh, benefit from the paper money 
because there is no intrinsic value. But likewise, one of the companions radiallahu anhum states, he asked the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what should he do in the end of times when he sees disputes and uh, disunity? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam advised him to live alone, isolated, even if he must eat the root of a tree, showing eating from the ground, farming has its many benefits, so people are self-sufficient for, uh, for themselves, and likewise, currency should be replaced by Muslim governments, by gold and silver, if they are able to do so, uh, and they do not fear being toppled by NATO, like Colonel Qaddafi was toppled by NATO because he wanted to introduce a gold coin, an African coin. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to do what is correct. Inshallah, we will open up for questions and answers.